Previously on Flying the Line, we followed the path of Hank Duffy to Delta Airlines. This podcast is brought to you by the Airline Pilots Association. ALPA supports its pilots through a variety of resources, including Pilots for Pilots, our emergency relief fund, where pilot donations help provide grants to those who have suffered from a widespread natural disaster. To donate, apply for a grant, or learn more, visit alpaorg P4P. Welcome to the Flying the Line podcast, a look into the past of the Airline Pilots Association, a bridge from the book Flying the Line, Volume 2, by George E. Hopkins. Chapter 8, Hank Duffy's Destiny, The Making of an Alpha President, Part 2. Hank Duffy's election to the Alpha presidency in 1982 was in some respects a tribute to the corporate success of Delta Airlines. Like the companies they fly for, the various pilot groups that make up ALPA tend to exhibit a character that reflects their airline's corporate culture. Few ALPA members at the time would dispute that Delta's pilots were traditionally the least militant and most company-oriented group in ALPA. They had never had a strike, and never suffered from seasonal layoffs. They had benefited from the most enlightened and efficient management in the industry. In short, the conservative family atmosphere at Delta made unionism weak. The company's view of collective bargaining was a source of envy throughout ALPA. Delta's pilots got what all the other pilot groups got, and usually more, without any of the messy disagreements. In fact, ALPA leadership had often been a stepping stone to management at Delta. The tradition dates back to the legendary Charles Dolson, the Delta captain who founded ALPA at the airline. He later rose through the ranks of management to replace the equally legendary C.E. Woolman as Delta's president. Dolson, who represented ALPA in the first contract negotiations with Delta, declared later that he didn't think Woolman ever forgave him for starting ALPA at the airline. Regardless, relations were typically so smooth between Delta and its pilots that Dave Benke, who liked lengthy negotiations, was known to express irritation. If negotiations were that easy, Benke figured, the company must be cheating the pilots. The enviable working conditions at Delta were purchased at a price, as Hank Duffy discovered. He was miffed that the company refused to grant him first officer pay. Both the company and ALPA's old hands at Delta expected young pilots to accept their superiors' decisions quietly, without complaint. But Duffy refused to let the go-along-to-get-along Delta culture deter him. Feeling thoroughly abused by both management and the local ALPA officers, Hank Duffy not only pressed his own grievance, but he also talked several other pilots in the same position into joining him. As Duffy recalled, there was eventually a compromise settlement that left the pilots feeling betrayed. But this small group of pilots had stood up, countered the situation, and learned a lesson the company wasn't to be trusted in all respects. 
Most union activists are made, not born. Management at Delta seemed to have understood this principle. Historically, the benign atmosphere between Delta pilots and management had probably deterred many pilots from becoming hardcore union activists. Unlike most Delta pilots, Duffy was an active unionist from his first days with the airline, starting with grievance work. Council 44 in Atlanta was, in 1963, like most local councils, chronically short of committee volunteers. When Duffy volunteered his services to the local executive council, he set in motion a series of events that would eventually bring him to ALPA's presidency. While Duffy went through the typical airline pilot experiences during his first few years with Delta, he also gained a thorough grounding in ALPA work. His rapid promotion to captain made him that much more appealing as an ALPA mover and shaker. But his most important early work was as Delta's Retirement and Insurance Committee chair. His performance in this technical nuts-and-bolts area, as opposed to the purely political side of ALPA activities, brought him favorable notice from the pilots of several other airlines. Atlanta, Delta's home base, was at one time claimed by Eastern as a principal territory. The city's rapid growth since the 1950s paralleled Duffy's years with Delta. The city became so desirable as an airline hub that ever-increasing numbers of airlines, large and small, sought a place there. By the late 1960s, Atlanta began to rival places like Chicago and New York as a pilot domicile. With the pilots of several airlines often in direct contact with each other, and a major ALPA field office as a focal point for that interaction, Duffy's reputation began to spread. Duffy, who was developing a keen sense of the problems of other airlines during this period, saw Atlanta's airline community as an ALPA microcosm. The insight Duffy gained into the various pilot groups domiciled there gave him a high-level perspective on the intra-airline rivalries which had dogged ALPA for generations. In addition, the fact that Duffy was active in Republican Party politics in Georgia as a county chairman was helpful. The country was swinging decidedly conservative by the 1970s, and Duffy's political views indicated that he fit the image most pilots had of themselves, reluctant unionists with conservative sympathies. So, beginning with that first grievance committee assignment, Duffy took on an ever-increasing ALPA workload, and that got ALPA leaders' attention. His most important characteristic was his ability to master a technical subject while exhaustively serving the needs of fellow pilots who came to him for help. While grievance work at Delta was relatively slow, it required close reading of the contract, which most pilots were not inclined to do until they got into some specific difficulty. In 1970, still just a junior captain, Duffy served on the Crucial Bargaining Committee, where he played a major role in negotiating a new retirement plan. Ironically, this interest in retirement and insurance was precisely the route to power that J.J. O'Donnell had followed in the 1960s. In fact, a preview of the 1982 election occurred at the 1973 executive board meeting 
over R&I matters. At that meeting, O'Donnell and Duffy disagreed on company funding standards for insurance products. Duffy wanted to increase loss-of-license payout percentages, a major problem, while O'Donnell saw it as a threat to the retirement plan that he had built. Despite O'Donnell's opposition, Duffy's plan carried. On this matter, the Delta pilots were independent of Alpa National's control. By setting a higher standard in the R&I area, they led the industry toward more generous benefits for all Alpa groups. But these R&I activities stirred up a lot of tension, as Duffy recalled of his first dealings with O'Donnell. Duffy attracted favorable notice from others, however, and it was apparent that he would soon play a leading role at Delta. Duffy's next challenge came in 1973, during the celebrated Arab oil embargo of that year. Delta pilot group leaders, notably Al Bonner and George Berg, suspected management was using the embargo as an excuse to cut the number of flights and reduce pilot employment. They assigned Duffy as the Alpa watchdog, or fuel czar. By 1974, Hank Duffy was chairman of the Delta Master Executive Council. He was a presence at that year's Alpa Board of Directors meeting in Kansas City, where the issues of crew complement and suspension of service, or SOS, were paramount. Alpa's policy required three pilots on all new turbine-powered or jet equipment. As we have seen, this issue was causing Alpa severe internal stress because some pilot groups disagreed vehemently with the three-pilot crew complement for some aircraft. Duffy, speaking for the Delta pilots, argued that the two-pilot flight deck was a technological inevitability and that Alpa would have to bow to it. The United Pilots, led by John Leroy, who was chairman of ALPA's National Crew Complement Study Committee, championed the three-pilot crew. The only way ALPA could maintain even a facade of internal unity on the crew complement issue was by papering it over. Hank Duffy was a burr under the saddle at the 1974 BOD meeting. He would not submit to the verbal tricks that dogged the crew complement issue. Long-standing ALPA policy called for drawing a line in the sand somewhere on the issue. But each time it came up on a specific aircraft, it was so divisive that the only sensible way to handle it was to duck. Complicating the issue was the fact that two Delta pilots, Bonner and Berg, were among the seven candidates challenging J.J. O'Donnell for the ALPA presidency. Neither succeeded, of course. Other issues, such as improper handling of hazardous materials and the misuse of flight deck voice recorders, detracted attention from the crew complement matter. But one thing was certain. Hank Duffy had emerged as a major player in ALPA. Throughout the remainder of the 1970s, Duffy was an often-mentioned potential successor to O'Donnell. He had the experience, he had the solid backing of his own airline, and he was just the right age, ten years younger than O'Donnell, to provide the kind of gradual succession that had been traditional in Alpa politics. But all that might not have been enough. The central thing that would catapult Duffy toward his destiny was the changing national political climate. The election of Ronald Reagan in 1980, 
accelerated the pattern of ominous changes that airline pilots had been experiencing since the Airline Deregulation Act of 1978. The conservative revival of the Reagan years probably won support from most airline pilots due to their economic status and social attitudes. Nevertheless, Reagan's anti-union tendencies were worrisome. Despite their political ideology, most pilots realized that they benefited from government regulation. Although airline deregulation was a product of the Carter administration, Republicans strongly supported it. As we have seen, J.J. O'Donnell had aligned ALPA solidly against deregulation, with minimal results. Hence, when O'Donnell's term expired in 1982, the pilots logically sought a leader like Duffy. His Republican credentials and background in Delta's successful corporate culture promised compatibility with the Reagan Revolution. Duffy's qualification for ALPA presidency was thus based upon long years of work in the union and the perception that he was likely to be effective in dealing with the Republican administration. O'Donnell's announcement that he would not stand for re-election prompted Duffy to announce his candidacy. Shortly after Duffy launched his campaign, however, O'Donnell changed his mind and entered the race, seeking a fourth four-year term. Planning an open campaign with no incumbent, Duffy readily admitted that if O'Donnell had not hesitated in announcing for re-election, he would not have run. But O'Donnell's temporary non-candidacy opened the door to Duffy, whose support snowballed. By the time O'Donnell entered the race, another candidate, John Gratz, the leader of TWA's pilots, had also announced for the presidency. Gratz, a Boeing 747 captain flying international routes out of New York, spearheaded the attack against O'Donnell, allowing Duffy to occupy the middle ground. In a close and bitterly contested election at the 1982 BOD, Duffy outpolled his two opponents and became ALPA's next president. ALPA's destiny and Hank Duffy's were now intertwined. Next time on Flying the Line, we take a look inside the transition to the Duffy administration. Thank you for listening. This has been Chapter 8, Part 2 of Flying the Line 2 by George E. Hopkins. Copyright 2000. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. To listen and subscribe to more in this series, please check us out online at alpa.org or on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or other podcast platforms. Until next time, this is the Flying the Line podcast, a look into the past of the Airline Pilots Association International. Production copyright ALPA 2023, all rights reserved.